the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Imagine the weeping of mothers having their children ripped from their arms and taken by this hostile nation. That's what Jeremiah was talking about. And Matthew says, you know what? That's the same scene happening here. What Jeremiah wrote was the long-term fulfillment of what happened in Christ when this order was given by King Herod to slaughter the baby boys. Imagine the weeping. Imagine mothers and fathers in complete distress and distraught by the fact that their baby boys were being slaughtered like this. Jesus wasn't welcome to this world with fanfare or loud shouts of praise. He was born in a stable. The world he came into was dark and broken. King Herod had innocent young boys slaughtered out of fear of this coming king. They were not circumstances any of us would want a child born into. But as we'll be reminded in today's message from Pastor Gary, Jesus came to heal that brokenness and bring light for those who would hear his call and accept his gift of salvation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. All right, so we're introduced to two principal figures here, and it's King Herod, and then we have the Magi, the King James Bible, it's wise men. We don't know how many there are. Every Christmas I say this, so it's repetitive for those of you who know this already, but we don't know that there were three. It just says there were Magi, or there were wise men. We, we think three because they bring three gifts. It was probably an entourage of just hundreds. And, uh, and yet, we don't know much about them. Now, let's first start with King Herod. We, don't know, uh, we know a little bit more about him than we do concerning the Magi. King Herod was appointed by the Roman government to be kind of a liaison between the Jewish people and the Roman government. His history tells us that this guy stood about four and a half feet. So we had a complex, and we're going to see the paranoia comes through. But he's about four and a half feet. He's under five feet. I want you to picture Danny DeVito with a crown, all right? <laughs> Now you have an idea of what Herod looks like. He was paranoid. He was cruel. In fact, he thought everybody was there to rob his authority, to usurp his authority. So he had one of his ten wives killed, his favorite wife, Mariamne. He had her murdered because he thought she was trying to subvert him and take over his queen to, to uh, dethrone him. He had two of his sons murdered because he, he thought the same thing. Caesar Augustus would write that, that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of Herod's family members, because you had a better chance of living if you were one of his pigs. Herod was a convert to Judaism. His father converted to Judaism, so he claimed to be Jewish, although he wasn't really Jewish. He was an Idumean, which means he was a descendant of Esau, otherwise known as Edom. 
And uh, that made him somewhat of a distant cousin of the Jews. But uh, because he was Jewish, at least in name and, and uh, conversion only, he didn't eat pigs. That's why Caesar Augustus said that it was better to be his pig because you, you wouldn't be killed like you would if you were his family member. So here this guy is, paranoid and uh, bloodthirsty and cruel. And he's doing everything to protect his reign. And some magi breeze into town. These are wise men. We don't know. They've come from the east. They... they They uh, have come from a distant place. Best guess is somewhere in the region of Persia. And uh, they have been guided by this star. They say, we saw his star in the east. Now, literally, it means when they were in the east, they saw his star in the west. They've come from east, going to west. They come to Jerusalem, and they're asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Ladies, listen, don't ever say that men don't ask for directions, because that's what's happening right here. These guys don't know exactly where to go specifically. It seems as if the star appears, they are led, but then the star needs to reappear because they don't know exactly where the star is pointing, but it will in a moment go before them and position itself over the house where the child Jesus is. Now, bear in mind, at this point, irrespective of what your Christmas cards say and your Christmas carols say, it doesn't mean that they arrive at the time of Jesus' birth it is likely that Jesus is at least one and a half or two years of age by the time they finally get here. Now, I'll show you as we read further why that is. But so here these wise men come. Now, they are a bit mysterious to us because they have an interest in worshiping he who was born king of the Jews. But are they believers? Are they Jewish? Or, you know, how do they know this? Well, it is likely that because of the presence of the Jews in ancient Babylon... Remember when the Babylonians came and besieged the Jews, Daniel, his friends, they were carried off to Babylon. Daniel became one of these wise men in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. There was a strong Jewish presence that was left in Babylon because when the right to return to Israel was given by King Cyrus and King Darius, most of the Jews stayed in the ancient land of Babylon. It is likely that these wise men were part of the Jews, or at least influenced by the Jews who stayed there in Babylon, and they were then well-versed in Scripture, and they talk about the star, which is probably a reference to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. In Numbers 24, 17, when Balaam was prophesying over Israel, God opened Balaam's mouth so that Balaam could only prophesy blessings. And in Numbers chapter 24, Balaam said this in verse 17. He says, I see him, but not now. This is prophetic about Messiah. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. And so that's probably the reference uh, that these wise men are referring to when they say, where is his star? We saw a star, the one born king of the Jews. Where is he located? And so here they come. And verse 3 says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Because he's threatened, he's insecure. And all Jerusalem with him. And why is all Jerusalem disturbed? Well, they're disturbed because they know if Herod is disturbed, this guy's a madman, and if he gets crazy, things aren't going to go well. That's why they're disturbed. And so verse 4, when he had called together all the people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now notice this, they're going to quote Micah 5 verse 2. This is the second prophecy that Matthew talks about here. And then they quote it correctly. They say, well, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. 
So the Magi come into town in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Herod's like, I don't really know. I'm only a Jew by you know, name only. I don't really you know, follow all this to the T. So I'll call in some chief priests, teachers of the law. They'll tell us. Teachers of the law, chief priests come in. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We know that verse. It's Matthew. It's, sorry, Micah 5, verse 2. Micah 5, 2. Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now check this out. Bethlehem's only about six miles from Jerusalem. If you knew this prophecy, wouldn't you want to take a six-mile walk? Wouldn't you want to go see the king of the Jews yourself, the Messiah, the one that you as a chief priest and teacher of the law have been long waiting for? Do you know how many people in this world have a knowledge of God's word, but they don't have a relationship with him? That's what's happening here. These guys know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. There's a big difference. There's a lot of people filling a lot of pews in a lot of churches. They have a knowledge of God, but they don't really know God. And so they give the correct verse. They are spot on. It's Micah 5.2. And so verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Well, go make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's a big lie. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Now it seems that it's reappearing, and now it's actually moving. It says, because it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, you know, it makes for some great discussion. You know, what is this? Was this a conversion of Jupiter and Saturn and some, you know, meteor shower? And You know, look, that doesn't move, okay? So, frankly, all this simply is, I don't mean all as in to diminish it, but this is not some meteor or some, you know, astronomical event. This is, in fact, just the Lord who is bearing light upon the subject here, whether he uses a literal star or whether there's this beam of light that comes from heaven. I don't know exactly but God is directing them until the beam of light stops over the house where, notice, the child was. The word child, it's different from a word that would mean infant. This is why we know that Jesus was not a little baby anymore. He's not in the manger scene here. He's not in in this place where he would have been born, but he's in a house now, and he's a child. The Greek word here is uh, paideon. Paideon, meaning a child. This is a young child. So again, he's probably somewhere between one and a half, two years of age. And we'll see how, it, how we understand that even further. But verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So again, this is about a year and a half or two years after Jesus was born. The shepherds are given to us in Luke's account. Luke tells us the shepherds go immediately upon the birth of Jesus. So they're there uh, when Jesus was born, but they're long gone now. And now the magi, the wise men are here. So I know, again, you know, our nativity scenes, we have the shepherds, we have all the little lambs, and we have the wise men. We have them all one big group. And it's, it's okay. I mean, you know, if you want to decorate your mantle with that whole scene, that's fine. If you really want to be biblically accurate, after a year and a half after Christmas, go get the wise men and bring them out and put them on your mantle. But um, otherwise, uh, it's okay. But so here's what happens. So then they get to the house where the child was, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. Now, these three gifts, this is why we often think, well, there's three wise men, but they, they come with three gifts. And why these three? I think that they bear witness to the ministry of Jesus. Gold is symbolic of his royalty as a king. Incense was often used 
in the mixture of anointing oil for priests. Jesus is not only king, he is also our high priest. We talked about that on the weekend service. And then the last gift was myrrh, and myrrh was used to embalm the dead. In fact, it tells us in John's Gospel that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to embalm the body of Jesus, they took with them 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And it's a picture here of Jesus as our king, our priest, and our savior who died for our sins. They bring these gifts to Jesus. They worship him. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see a lot of dreams in this uh, first couple of chapters here. Everybody's having dreams. Joseph's having dreams. The wise men are having dreams. It kind of validates the fact that if you like taking naps, it's a good thing. God is going to speak to you, perhaps. Just tell your wife, honey, I need to hear from the Lord. I'm going to go lay down now. (laughs) Verse 13, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here we go. He needs to take a nap. And this is what the angel says. Get up. (laughs) every, Every nap comes to an end. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph, being warned, verse 14, so he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Here's prophecy number three that Matthew tells us in the first couple of chapters was fulfilled in Jesus. Not only would he be born of a virgin, not only would he be born in Bethlehem, but he would also spend his infancy in Egypt. And Matthew quotes here from Hosea 11, verse 1, which speaks about how God called the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, normally in the Old Testament, when God refers to Israel as his people, as his nation, he refers to them in the feminine, the nation of Israel, she. But in Hosea 11, 1, he refers to the nation of Israel, he, in the masculine, which is somewhat unusual. And we may not see it when we're reading Hosea 11, 1. Oh, yeah, yeah, this was fulfilled in Jesus. But Matthew helps us to understand. He has the insight. And he says, yeah, because when God called uh, Joseph to bring Jesus back out of Egypt to Israel, that was a fulfillment of Hosea 11.1. In the same way that God led the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt, so Jesus fulfills this exodus from Egypt back to Israel. Verse 16 says that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So this is how we put all this together to realize that Jesus was probably two or younger because he's now living in a house in Bethlehem. He's not in a manger. And the Magi tell Herod when they first saw the star. That's why then Herod puts all this together and he says, well, we need to kill the baby boys two and younger because that gives us the proximity of how long it's been since the star appeared. So Jesus is now here almost two years of age or thereabouts And Herod gives this horrible order for all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity to be killed because he's paranoid. He thinks, okay, this guy who's called king of the Jews has been born. I thought I was king of the Jews. I don't know who he is. I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to try to kill him. And there's this slaughter throughout Bethlehem. And verse 17 then, Matthew says, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Matthew says that he, Jesus, would be the target of infanticide. And thus, 
That's why the Lord warned Joseph in the dream in advance to get out of that area, go down to Egypt, stay there for a while. And Matthew links Jeremiah's prophecy because Jeremiah was talking about the time when the Babylonians came and besieged Israel and mothers and children were separated as the Babylonians would carry off their children, sometimes slaughter them, sometimes enslave them. And imagine the weeping of mothers having their children ripped from their arms and taken by this hostile nation. That's what Jeremiah was talking about. And Matthew says, you know what? That's the same scene happening here. What Jeremiah wrote was the long-term fulfillment of what happened in Christ when this order was given by King Herod to slaughter the baby boys. Imagine the weeping. Imagine mothers and fathers in complete distress and distraught by the fact that their baby boys were being slaughtered like this. And so, verse 19, after Herod died, here's dream number three, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now, Archelaus was also a very brutal guy, very cruel guy. In fact, the Jews complained so much about how cruel he was to Rome that Rome recalled him, took him back, and they banished him to Gaul. And in his place came Herod Antipas, who would be the one later to have John the Baptist killed. So the, the, the Herodian dynasty was a bunch of just wicked guys who were always paranoid that somebody was trying to take over their reign, and King Herod the Great dies. His son, Archelaus, takes over. He's bloodthirsty. He gets recalled by Rome. Herod Antipas, his brother, takes over. He's going to end up having John the Baptist killed. And because Archelaus is reigning there, Joseph was afraid to go. So here's dream number four. It says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, Luke tells us, because the Roman census was taken. They had to go to the house and lineage that they were from. They were descendants of David. They go to Bethlehem. Jesus is born there in this manger. Then they have to escape to Egypt so that Jesus is not slaughtered. When they come back to Israel, they won't go back to Bethlehem. They're going to go to Nazareth. They're going to go to the region of the Galilee. And so, Matthew says, fulfills another prophecy. This is prophecy number five, that he would be raised in Nazareth. And this is from Isaiah 11.1. Now, the word Nazareth is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. How is this a fulfillment? How does Matthew know that Jesus will be called a Nazarene, because Isaiah 11.1 says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse's the father of David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And in your Bibles in Isaiah 11.1, when it says branch, it's capitalized because it's a reference to Messiah. Now, the word branch in Hebrew is netzer. Nazareth, the town Nazareth, is named after the Hebrew word Netzer, and Matthew puts two and two together, and he says, oh yeah, this is the branch. This is Netzer. This is the one who was born and will be, end up being raised in Nazareth, and thus he will be called Jesus of Nazareth. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the fifth prophecy fulfilled. Now, five prophecies that Matthew says were fulfilled in the first two chapters of his gospel these being fulfilled in Jesus. Now, for those of you who love prophecy and, 
and uh, the fulfillment of prophecy and the odds of prophecy, um, there are more than 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, of the Jewish scriptures, about Messiah, about the coming of Messiah, and all 300 plus were, were fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew says, here are just five. Now, many years ago, a guy by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner, some of you are familiar with some of his work, he died in 1980. Dr. Stoner was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College, and then he was also the chairman of the Science Department at Westmont College. And he decided to do a mathematical analysis of all the prophecies that were written concerning the Messiah and how likely or unlikely it would be for one person to fulfill these prophecies. And he started with just 48, and he did a mathematical analysis of, of, of just 48, and then he got even more conservative. He says, okay, what if there were just eight? Now, bear in mind, we've read just five already in the first two chapters of Matthew. Dr. Peter Stoner said, how about if we mathematically analyze just eight of the more than 300 prophecies that were all fulfilled in Jesus, and these prophecies written by Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah were written hundreds of years before Jesus, 500 years before Jesus, 600 years, 700 years. What Dr. Stoner determined was that for a person to fulfill just eight of these prophecies, it would be the mathematical odds of one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power. And then Dr. Stoner wrote this illustration, and he had it analyzed, and they determined that mathematically his work was accurate. Whether or not they believed in the prophecies of Jesus, that's another issue. But here's how he defined it, and here's how he tried to illustrate what would it be like the odds for one person to fulfill just eight prophecies mathematically. What's one to 10 in the 17th power? One and 10 with 17 zeros after that. How do we get our minds around it? So here's what Dr. Stoner came up with. He said it would be like this. He said if you were to take the state of Texas and you were to fill the state of Texas two feet deep, knee deep, with silver dollars, and then you were to take one silver dollar and mark it, and put it somewhere there in the midst of all these silver dollars throughout the state of Texas, two feet deep, and then you were to blindfold a man and tell him to walk through, wade through all these silver dollars, and you have one chance to pick one, what would be the odds that he would pick the one that was marked? It's mathematically impossible, in other words, except for the fact that all of these were indeed fulfilled by Jesus, meaning that this is no coincidence what we're reading. This is all divine, miraculous. This is the revelation of God, that he would send his son to the earth, that God would take on flesh and come to die for our sins. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy written about this Messiah and all of these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus? What would be the odds? Well, just eight, one in 10 to the 17th power. Dr. Stoner said 48 would be one in 10 to the 157th power. Look, what we read here is incredible, miraculous revelation of God that he explained and foretold in advance. When I look at how these chief priests and teachers of the law could quote the prophecies, but their hearts were not engaged, I think to myself, Lord, let me not miss what you're about. Lord, give me eyes to always see and believe, to trust you, to glorify you, to believe in you always. This is the miraculous revelation of God who came to earth to die for sinners like you and me. God in flesh, John would say. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. 
glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is Jesus. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know